0: This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. mai mai nei. Welcome to the Environment Awareness Show, brought to you by Extinction Rebellion Aotearoa. We are going out on a Tuesday at one pm with a replay on Saturday at eleven am. And you can listen to our podcast by going to the Environment Awareness Show on the Otago Access Radio podcast page. And you can send us comments and suggestions to our email address, dunedin at extinctionrebellion.nz. We really appreciate your feedback. Well, today I am here with fellow rebels, James and Toothfish, Tina Kordua.
1: Kia ora. Hey,
0: and um, as well as being rebels, these guys are both also artists. And today we're going to chat a little bit about. Um, the beautiful relationship between art and activism and the fact that often artists are activists and activists are artists. And the um, international group Extinction Rebellion, Extinction Rebellion that we are a part of um, often uses art as um, a main part of their disruptions and protests with powerful like colour symbology, instalments, theatre and, um, and symbology. So I wonder, can you guys talk a little bit, perhaps, about what is the role of art in the movement?
1: Hmm, yeah, well, I mean, one of the things that that um, that that makes me think of first up is that the the whole branding and the whole style of the Extinction Rebellion um, artwork is accessible. It's been sort of deliberately designed to be copied easily and distributed around the world. So mm. there's sort of that style of it. There's that part of it. And then within each region all around the, the world, people make it their own and, mm. and do their own things with it, even down to the the um, logo itself. Mm. Yeah.
0: Cool.
2: So uh, I've been doing posters for a long time under this, this nom de guerre. Uh, and I'm not really pronouncing that well, but the uh, name of war, uh, a toothfish, is... It's a name that's been adopted for a sort of political activist. It's a sort of hypothetical fictional character, really. It is a, a, a collective. Um, so I'm just here representing that collective today. Um, and so uh, we were slightly involved with lots of groups over the years, but Sea Shepherd was one of them, and really liked their iconography. Um, and there was a point in about 2017 where we became completely dismayed with what was happening in, in, in the world and National had been in for almost nine years by that point uh, and we just thought to hell with it. We did a poster with a, a human skull and the word extinction on it and started bashing them up around the country uh, and pretty much at that point Extinction Rebellion started in Aotearoa so we thought we must be doing something right um, and yeah, I guess that's why we got involved.
0: Mm. And yeah. what are some of the reactions you've had to the posters?
2: Well, there's been um, a lot of posters down the years, um, and in the last two or three years, we have pretty much been doing posters uh, promoting the group, um, not just in Aote-Porty, but around the country, and some have gone overseas. Uh, it's very hard to put a positive Happy face, you know, on 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 you know the situation, and try and get people thinking positively, you know, like the whole thing about regeneration and suggestions for how we can get out of this situation we're in is not my strong point, Uh, uh, and and some of the people in the group as well. It's very much about warning signs, and so the current posters are are just pictures of animals that become extinct recently, Mm -hmm. and it's just boldly. You know, this is these are this is the facts, and you know, yeah. But you know, I we have other suggestions as to uh, you know we can perhaps we can talk about later on as to other other ways of, of operating. Um, but very much, Toothfish has been about promoting the movement um, in recent years.
0: Kia ora. Okay, and so James, you are a poet, amongst other things, (laughs) (laughs) and today we're very lucky that you're going to share a poem with us. Yeah. I was just wondering, can you tell us a little bit about why you write poetry?
1: Yeah, well, I guess um, I've written it for a long time since I was young, and uh, I think for me, the activism and art have always gone together. Like, in the art that I appreciate, it's Mm. got a message, it's got a meaning, it's Mm. got to be, and ideally it's catchy, entertaining, humorous, thought-provoking, but it has uh, a strong meaning an art that I love as well and I love all the posters around town um, that our friend here has been putting up and
2: You're a tooth I heard, I, heard <laughs> I, I, I thought you were putting them up Ah <laughs> oh, well <that's
1: laughs> Maybe I, <I've laughs> I, Sorry, may, I may have been um, Yeah, may have been on occasion I, I have a couple of, um, of special ones that I like to put up myself He does damn good posters Thank mm. you And um, yeah, and then getting into poetry more recently, it, it started off for me having thoughts bouncing around my head that I had to get out, and I started doing some sort of YouTube rants, just that are not poet poetry, just yeah. my thoughts, and and that I found that really um, soothing and helpful. And then I started putting those into poetry form, and then I um, commissioned an artist to do some um, images that I put up with them. Yeah,
0: awesome. And today you're going to share the night before Christmas. Yes, Kia ora.
1: Okay, here goes. <clears throat> "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, "'not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. "'Yes, all were silent, the cats and the mice, "'longing to hear of the great cold train heist. "'You see, 19 days earlier, these are the facts. "'On December 5, we stopped the cold train in its tracks. "'We watched and we waited till the train came our way. "'Then 40 brave souls stopped it most of the day. "'We tied to the tracks, we climbed up on top.' Waved banners, gave flyers, sang reggae and pop. Music filled the air on that great day. Till cops came along and said we couldn't stay. So we left that place, having stopped the coal early from travelling northward 8am till 4.30. But wait, cried a small mouse, the one named Ferdinand. What kind of heist is this? The train departed as planned. ''That's not what a heist is. This story's not real. A heist when you steal something, something you steal. You didn't steal anything off of that rail. Ah, what a stink story. Ah, what a dumb tale!'' ''Ah, little one,'' said I, with all the grace I could muster, ''you are correct, but do not get in a fluster. We didn't steal anything. Yes, that is true. We were stopping the heist that was stolen from you.'' See, the great coal train heist was committed, oh dang, by a terrible, infamous coal train gang. Who's the coal train gang? asked the little grey rodent. Well, I'll tell you, said I, if you give me one moment. First up, there's the muscle that powers the team. Barry Bathurst, the Aussie thug. He's really mean. He's got the strength to smash coal from the land up into pieces, and once it's in hand, he passes it on, so the gang will not fail, to his accomplice, Karen Kiwi Rail. Now, Karen's the getaway driver, you see. She runs a legit transportation Mm. company. She carries the coal right across the nation. Together they run a smooth operation. Barry smashes it, loads it. Karen takes it away to the mastermind behind this terrible play. They're the ones making dollars, francs, pounds and lira. I'm talking, of course, about Frankie Fontiera. You see, Frankie has it all planned out. Move the coal to the north from the south. Burn it up till the smog stings your eyes. Burn it up till the milk gets dry. See, Frankie knew they were causing climate catastrophe, but burning the coal made the best money in the milk factory. They don't give a fuck that the world's going to die. They just want to get the milk powder dry. Then Ferdinand, little mouse, little grey friend, asked, how did they get away with this in the end? Ah, I replied, that's a very good question. It cannot be answered unless I do mention the number one crim running this gang was Bent. I'm talking about Nelly, NZ government. Nelly, the fixer was what we called them. Whatever gang needed, Nelly got there and then. Nelly from to Fenua took the coal from the land for forsook. And when we were through pushed away with their clout. Nelly's boys in blue, the ones that kicked us out. Politely they asked us to leave and go far. Never raised batons, branded hashtag Aroha. So we unlocked ourselves and we all went away. Pleased we live in a country where we can have our say. But the cleverest plan from this criminal brain was the hidden treasure that was all aboard that there train. Like all great heist movies, there was a twist. The real theft was hidden, hand over fist. That coal was smuggling from deep, deep within, a far greater prize, a far greater sin. Smuggled inside every tonne that was carried, two tonnes CO2 to which it were married. And when the coal to dry milk did burn, that's when the carbon to CO2 turned. I'm so sorry, dear listener, that you must now know from climate gases come the profits that Fonterra grow. Each ton of coal cost around 100 bucks. But 215 was the value on trucks of carbon inside, roughly double the weight CO2 per a bituminous coal ton freight. You ask, "How do I find the price of CO2?" Nellie's mate Percy's done that work for you. Percy, Productivity Commission, was tasked with the chore of discovering the ton cost of carbon, the floor at which carbon ton pricing would be needed to make sure that our stable climate we would not forsake. And the price Percy found was 2 to 250, NZ dollars needed to ensure we'd be thrifty with that most precious commodity. Our climate, our atmosphere, air, land, and sea. But Nellie, that crim was just as crooked as clever. They set the price low, ensuring that the levers of government were set to encourage more burning. Because big dairy dollars, Frankie Fonterra's earnings, were what lit up Nellie and government's eyes. The money they loved, the people despised. They set the price low at just thirty-five bucks. That means two fifteen was the profit per ton on coal trucks. With each coal ton carrying two ton CO two, five twenty ton total. The math: one big, big. Fuck you. Fuck you to the people from whom we are stealing. Your future, your present, no time for earth healing. Sea level rises, the forests are burning, hail in the summertime, fruit crop growers learning that time, it is coming, it's coming for you. When we hit the tipping point, it's too late to sue. So good night, dear listener. Enjoy Christmas cheer. Drown this sorrowful story with wine and with beer. Or... If you prefer to avoid living hell, join your local chapter. It's time to rebel. Mm-hmm.
0: That was
2: genius, man! Wow. Wow. Nice. Wow. <laughs> Whoa! Thank you, thank you, James. Amazing! <laughs> amazing! It was amazing. We all that
0: without notes. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. Starts off sort of playful, and we're like, "Wow, this is this is great!" Little story, little mouse, and it's like, "Oh, yeah, yeah."
2: But I have to confess, you know, we have stolen things from that train. We've got samples of coal because <laughs> one of their bullshit lines is, "Oh, you stopped, There's no train, no coal on that train." We've got samples. You know, you want samples? We'll show you. We got photos. You know, it's yeah. just the amount of spin around these train stoppages, the amount of nonsense that's been written in the media. You yeah. know, uh, sometimes you just despair. But that poem, just that's just—that's the truth right there. Yeah. That's it. Beautifully succinct. Mm. Yeah. Thank
0: you. Yeah, thank you again. And so we spoke earlier in the week about if you were to imagine a possible audience as you were writing, it would probably be a younger version of yourself. And how do you think a younger James might react or respond to that poem?
1: Well, I like to think he'd say, damn, straight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but I yeah. suppose uh, to me it always – one thing that comes up for me personally is that we're all in this sort of process of development and changing our ideas. It are, you know, it's easy to think that those who are maybe on a different part of the spectrum, political spectrum than we are, they, we can't get through to them. But mm. I, I, I always hold that hope that we can, you know, that there's always, um, there's always room for that and room for a conversation.
0: Mm. Yep, I agree. Okay, and um, are you able now to introduce us all?
1: Oh, yes, yes. So we have a song here. This is by the amazing Feralizer, and it is called Like It or Not.
3: How have things been going, mate? How is your day? Crew of crusty activists, block my fucking tray. Struggling for oxygen, topsoil blowing all over the map again Smoking our lungs, no water in the tap again Welcome to Queensland, sunshine, dust bowl Bankrupt farmers don't know where to go Get a job in the mines, we'll never have enough coal State of emergency, burning it out of control Doctor with a duty of care, doing what she can. She's a doctor with a duty of care. Doing what she can. My kids been skipping school. Why getting education when the experts are ignored? How dare you steal our future? How dare you steal our childhood fairy tales? I'm in. Go back
0: to sleep It was local rebel fertilizer and you would have noticed that in the beginning of the song uh, she was referencing the train stops. Bruce, would you want to talk to us a little bit about the Dunedin Extinction Rebellion's train actions?
2: Yeah, I don't know who Bruce is, but um, if he's here, we'll find him. <coughs> um, yeah, so... Um, Extinction Rebellion Autiporti has been stopping um, a, a train that goes through to almost every day uh, carrying 28 carriages of coal so not so much now we're moving to winter, uh, it's not so regular but you know, for a good at least six months of the year, this train rocks through town at least six days a week with 28 carriages of coal from a mine down at Takatimu down in Southland uh, and this coal travels north uh, until it gets to Clandyboy. Fonterra's big milk factory where they turn the liquid milk into powder for export. Um, and we don't like this, obviously. Uh, you've got these 28 carriages of coal um, and that equates to about 500 tonnes, uh, which equates, as James said, to about uh, two tonnes of atmospheric carbon per tonne. So you get about around over 1,000 tonnes of carbon is released from this train every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, according to our statistics, is equivalent to around about 80,000 extra cars um, on the road that day. So it, it makes a mockery of anybody's individual attempts yep. to reduce their emissions when you have the, these people burning coal for private profit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we love Kiwi Rail. We, you know, we see them as a big part of the future of, of transport in our But we would like them to step away from carrying this material that, that we regard as, as toxic, um, uh, particularly you know, used for private profit as it is. And hopefully uh, by continuing these actions, uh, we'll continue to uh, raise the profile so that more people in Autoporte know this is happening and more and more people join us in these actions to say, hey Kiwi Rail, you know, we love you, but please can you just step away from coal?
0: Absolutely. Yep. And like I mentioned at the beginning, um, our email address is dunedin at extinctionrebellion.nz. So if you are interested in anything we're talking about today or coming to a meeting for Extinction Rebellion, perhaps getting involved in any of our actions, drop us a line on that email. It would be awesome.
2: Yep. Yeah, and we're super friendly. There's the Facebook page, there's the Facebook group, there's the Instagrams, the Twitter. You know, if you're looking, you'll find us. Great. You know, and please come along.
0: Yep. Absolutely. And so also, uh, Toothfish, you were going to talk a little bit about one of the last big extinction rebellion actions in New Zealand and how um, art was used there.
2: Yeah, so that was a couple of years ago. So it was planned to do a big uh, annual action every year, but mm-hmm. obviously COVID got in the way there last year. But the year before that, there was a big action in, in Wellington, um, and, uh, and a lot of us from Aotearoa went up there. Uh, and two things really well. A number of things struck me about it. One was that I had great support from the advertising community, the media in Wellington to promote it, mm-hmm. uh, which was fantastic. It was a big support um, uh, to get people along, and there was thousands, of, you know, thousands of people on the streets, you know, just stopping Wellington. We stopped Wellington that day. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and the other thing was uh, we, we were involved in painting some of the props So there were cars, uh, boats um, Blocking roadways uh, that, that we were involved in producing uh, to, to block roads mm-hmm. uh, And then the main thing that really, really struck me on that day Was the Red Brigade So I don't know how many people out there have heard of the Red Brigade uh, But there are Red Brigades all over the world And these are people that go to uh, protests and they're all dressed in red with white faces and they're basically mourning um, the, the state of the, the environment, the state of the planet. And they, are, they just move around mourning. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very, very powerful. Yeah. I can't describe how powerful it is seeing 30, 40 people in, in bright red with white faces just being flat and sad mm. altogether. Mm, it's just re-moving. Really
0: yeah, I saw a YouTube clip, and they uh, they all approached the police line all together with their hands out, and just stared at them. And it was it was really provocative and like moving. Uh, yeah, mm. definitely. Mm. <coughs> and were you at that process too? No, no. No. And so I guess with um, like the cars and the things, it's easy for onlookers to really quickly understand what's going on and and read the message without having to know much about it at all. Yeah.
2: One thing we get a lot of t- is like, hey, you came to that protest in a car, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, you're producing emissions yourself, you hypocrite.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: But it's like, dude, you know, it's like saying, can't we just change society a little bit? You know, can't we just alter a few things? You know, it's society that's a problem. We're stuck in these systems. You know, what, what, what do you want us to do? Go and live in caves? You know, would you respect us more if we walk to this protest? Of course you wouldn't. You know, we are just after a little bit of moderate system change, and the, and the government has already declared a climate emergency. Mm-hmm. So when we stop this train... I personally feel I'm doing what the government's telling me to do.
1: Yeah, and to put it in context, the I think there are something like 100 companies around the world that produce 70% of the emissions. So when you talk about, you know, if you really want to remove your own personal in, um, emissions, stopping the train's a great way to do it, you know, I mean... I worked out that, that 80,000 cars. I think it's something like and seven, one car for 217 years. So I figure if I can help stop that much coal in one day, then that's all the rest of my driving's sorted for the rest of my life, you know?
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yep.
2: So come down there. Come come and help us.
0: Yeah, so it's like this idea of systemic change, eh? Over the Absolutely, year. yeah. And, yeah, so what does the individual have to contribute, I suppose, is interesting. Like we've sort of... Um, made to believe that if we start doing a bit of composting at home or something that we can halt global warming, but really, like you're saying, if we can stop a coal train and do a big action or join a group and have more power. Yeah, yeah.
2: Joining yes. groups is, is a huge way forward. So we're about lobbying, but we're also about direct action. And we are looking for system change. And, and like I said, we're not unreasonable. The government has declared a climate emergency. That was mm-hmm. the first demand of Extinction Rebellion, and they've done it. The second demand is that New Zealand go carbon neutral and negative by 2025. Mm-hmm. Currently, the target is 2050. Mm-hmm. It's just way too late. So yeah. we're, we're a pressure group.
1: I had something I wanted to add, actually. Um, That is, that um, people say, "Oh, you should." There's things you should do on your own as an individual. I think that I believe personally that we will, we will need to, we will need everybody to make those changes Mm. individually. But we don't do them alone. We Mm. do them as a team of five million. You know, like we, we, everyone does make all those little, tiny, small changes in their lives. But, but at the moment, if you make those changes yourself. the benefit you 're really doing is spreading the word it 's not the change yep. you 're making is a drop in the bucket when we, when we all make those changes together, then it will make a difference and we need systemic change for that to happen. Mm. You know A lot of people aren 't even in a position to make those kinds of changes to make those kinds of decisions. It costs money in some mm. cases yeah, there's you know. no
2: public transport where they live whatever you yeah know. a lot of people are just stuck you know we 're all stuck in the system we 're all stuck we 've all been corporatized colonized, you know, by the corporations. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I guess when we make <clears throat> changes for ourselves, it's like an energetic thing we can, like the ripple effect out. Yeah, and I, and then people are perhaps more likely to to see a poster on the street and it moves them a little bit forward to more action and things like this, or hear a poem like yours. Said. Well, that,
2: well, that man there—he's the first person that that told us he joined the group because of the posters.
0: Really. And so yeah. that was
2: hugely encouraging.
0: So, what was the in reaction that you had when you saw the poster? I just
1: thought, oh, fucking, they're awesome. Mm. Oh, great! You know, and every time I walked past it, see if there was any new ones come out. You know, mm. and, I think, and then it was connecting the dots. You know, seeing that there, and then maybe seeing a couple of YouTube videos from somewhere else, and then seeing something else that people were doing, and then yep. going, "Hey, and yeah, you it, it's started time. doing it yourself?" Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah, it all adds up, doesn't it? Yeah. And mm. then a the whole
2: yep. lot of, more of us. You know, lots of people doing
0: it now. Yep. And it's so great. I guess that is another action that an individual can do. Is you know, mm. like all the small things and they all start adding up yeah, and then we can come together and put pressure on, on the governments
1: And with Extinction Rebellion for me at first I did, I did see them I felt like a bit of an outsider and it seemed like a sort of a clicky kind of group of, of these sort of way out there kind of hippies <laughs> or something and then when I actually listened and understood what they were talking about that made me realise that it was just common sense it's not, mm. it's not anything out there or crazy or anything it's very accessible to people from all walks of life
2: well, it's like it's a bunch of individuals, isn't it? You look at any group and you think, oh, there's this group, you know, they're intimidating as a group, but it's just a bunch of individuals. And, yep. yep.
0: And we absolutely welcome anyone and everyone to the group. And I recently saw a post that Extinction Rebellion was saying, we need cooks and teachers and grandparents and parents. We just, we need everyone. The movement needs everyone. So. Yep. Kia ora Koto, And uh, thank you for listening and see you in the next fortnight.